Hey family, welcome to another edition of Cool Jazz Conversations here on WSSB. My name is Marcellus Chapard, the bass man. So glad to be with you once again and proud to have our special guest today. This brother is cool, calm, and definitely collective. And when he hits you with that smile, Mm-hmm. He's just <laughs> pulling you in real slowly, man, fully grabbing your attention. Uh, L.A. native, been rocking out in Chi-Town for quite a while now. Please welcome saxophonist, producer, and vocalist, Marquel Jordan. Thank you for joining us here on Cool Jazz Conversations, brother. Oh, man. Thank you for having me, brother. Really good to see you, man, and really good to be here. Most you know, definitely, man. Life absolutely. been treating you well? Yeah. Life has been good, you know, um, not without its challenges, but it's been been good. I'm I'm I know that I'm blessed and I know that I'm doing really well. I know and, that I'm doing and, really well. And you're healthy. Yeah, yeah. You know, that was and, and I'll just mention that right off the top. Like the beginning of the year I had um I contracted coronavirus. Wow. Um, yeah, like so at the end of January, uh started getting a few symptoms and stuff like that. And uh I just thought it was a flu, you know, mm. it, it didn't, didn't have a lot of the symptoms that a bunch of people that you hear that have, you know, unfortunately passed away or have had to deal with long-term effects and that nature. I didn't have any of that. So really feel good about that and uh, just bounce it back and trying to get this music together, brother. Yeah, man. Well, I'm glad you were on the other side of it, man. As you mentioned, there, there are many out there that didn't have that opportunity to come out of yeah. it on top. So uh, I'm, I'm most definitely glad to hear that that you are A-OK. So and for everybody out there listening and watching, you know, take your precautions, man. Socially distance. Keep your mask on. This thing is real. Uh, yeah. There's so many naysayers out there. But at the end of the day, from what we are seeing and the people that have been affected, Mm -hmm. This thing is real. So let's go back, man. You know, okay. L.A. Cat. Yeah. In Chi-Town. But let's go back to L.A. Okay. Where, yeah. you, where you were born, right? right. Okay. Absolutely. So you, you were in L.A. until what age? 13. Um, okay. Then I moved to uh, my dad retired from General Motors. So he was working through and, and, you know, you may remember, you may not remember. I might have a few years on you. But um. You know, in the, in the uh, late 70s and, and early 80s, they started closing a lot of the auto plants. Oh, yeah. Um, or, or, you know, all of the business started going mm -hmm. to Mexico and overseas. So my dad was getting laid off a lot um, when we were in Los Angeles. And of course, you know, as a kid, I'm loving it. Everything's cool. I'm, you know, there's few places to grow up cooler than L.A. I mean, there's few. You know? I could imagine. <laughs> but, um, you know, and, and he had to unfortunately move to the family had to move to Kansas City, Kansas. Mm. So um, that's where I moved. And ironically enough, this is around this time of year is uh, around the time of year that I actually moved. So it was my first time on a plane. I was 13 years old. It was weird. It was weird. So, yeah, <laughs> man, it was crazy. So L.A., though, is, you know, even though I haven't lived there for a long time, it, it influences everything that I am and, and who I am. I, I, I kind of hold on to it because I don't want it to leave me, you know. Right, right. Um, but, you know, just a vibrant city, especially back then, you know, it was a lot to do, uh, a lot of places to go, a lot of energy, a lot of music. Uh, you know, the uh, African-American community was pretty tight knit. Mm -hmm. um, you know, this was right before um, 
like around the time that I left is when, you know, the crack era and, and gangs <clears> and all of that stuff started getting real heavy yeah. there. So, you know, in retrospect, looking back, it was a blessing to leave, although that was the last thing I wanted to do at 13. You know? Right, right. So let's talk about the music scene in L.A. I mean, was that really where uh, you were exposed to music outside of the household or was that, you know, once you got to Kansas City? Um, you know, it was a combination because okay. uh, my dad has a great, great record collection, which he was building up back then when I grew up. So, OK, yeah, you know, so I, I always had music around me and, you know, I had uh, I have two older sisters. And my parents, you know, they put them in piano when they were younger. Mm. Uh, they put me in drums when I was like five years old. But that didn't, okay. it didn't stick worth it. Ah, <laughs> I do you drums know? too around that age. Yeah, that, I can't even do a drum roll up here. Oh, man. Good and terrible. I'm, I'm good for a couple of uh, paradiddles, you know. <laughs> yeah, that's what's up, man. <laughs> you know, but like his his record collection and then my uncle, um, Kefi Roberts is his name. My father's name is Anthony Jordan. Um, shouts out to both of those brothers. But my uncle was a saxophonist, a soprano sax, and a flutist, and mm -hmm. also a martial arts master. Like Kefi Roberts' name rings out in in the black community in Los Angeles, and okay. he was involved in um, uh, this big band uh, that used to do shows in Watts at the church, like. I think one Sunday a month uh, and the name of the band and, and the name of the member or uh, the leader of the band was uh, Horace Tapscott was his name. And uh, actually- That's a hell of a be, name too. Yeah, man. He used to yeah. be married to Marla Gibbs. Um, oh, wow. Yeah. So, okay. you know, it was like a big band and it was very Afrocentric and the vibe was just like super, like just free jazz and, you know, like LA is kind of known for that vibe and, mm -hmm. and a lot of people don't really know that, but- um, so I was soaking all of that stuff up as a kid, you know, and then of course I got bused to a school in Hollywood and started getting to exposed to other stuff. Like, and that was a long ride from where I lived and making all those little stops. So it was like an hour and wait a half. Minute, wait a minute. As, as a kid, you were yeah. exposed to Hollywood. Yeah, man. Yeah. Come I was. on, man. Like, you know, the Come wildest on. thing, You're man. destined for stardom, bro. Yeah, man. And, and even more of a, of, of a wild thing, like the school that I went to, um, you know, because this was back in the heyday of busing mm -hmm. and integration. So I went to a magnet school called Gardner Mini Magnet or Gardner uh, Elementary School. Okay. So it's right around the corner from Sunset Boulevard. And um, it was a school that Michael Jackson went to for a year when they wow. went to Elementary. Yep. Okay. So like the, the auditorium is named after him. They did like this big thing, uh, man, years ago. When they named it after him. so it was it's it was it was cool to go to school there and be exposed to different cultures and like the worst thing about it was the bus ride but then that was cool you know because we got to listen to a lot of different music and then i started getting into stuff like the police and steely dan and all this stuff because the bus drivers were playing that kind of music and gotcha. um so it was just everything man just everything that vibe just really uh just seeped into my spirit and i think you know obviously i was born with the gift to do it but it was because i had all this music around me and it just kind of nurtured me more and more from that situation you know that is incredible man yeah. hollywood as as a child oh yeah that's right i'm glad you brought that back up yes. so like the wildest things that we used to see um because if if you've watched any like if you watched the movie american pimp Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know and um if you talk to all of the pimps that you know the pimps they interviewed on there sunset boulevard 
was a main track for all of the prostitutes and stuff. So, you know, and we used to drive down Sunset Boulevard to get to the Hollywood Freeway to, to get back to the South Side where we lived, um, which is South Central, which is the generic term, but like Los Angeles, Watts, um, Gardena, Inglewood, all mm. of those kind of areas. Mm -hmm. So, but, you know, every once in a while we hit that strip and we see a little something, something you know? <laughs> You talking about like eight or nine year old boys, oh and you just God. like at the bus, like, oh snap, man! Like, you know, man, it was crazy. It was crazy. Wow. But I, I mean, we were sheltered. You know, we were sheltered from all that because we obviously we're in elementary school, but it was still all love, man. It was great. Hey, man, listen, I don't know too many people who can say as an eight year old child, right? I was out on the track in L.A. <laughs> Seeing a little something, something, seeing what I saw. Bruh, it was Bruh. real too, man. Yeah, it's crazy. I, I can only imagine, man. Good stuff. So what was Mom Duke's playing in the house or, or Pop's playing in the house that uh, that they exposed you to at, at a young age? And young and age. how did you end up playing saxophone? You said they started you on drums. drums right. Then you end up on saxophone. I'm, I'm yeah. assuming it has something to do with your uncle, but go ahead. Um, You know what? Ironically enough, no. Really? Um, nah, man. It, it was crazy because my dad, you know, his collection is kind of the spectrum of black music. So okay. one minute we'd be listening to Johnny Mathis and Ray Charles and mm. stuff like that. And then the next minute it was Earth, Wind and & Fire and Parliament Funkadelic. And, you know, and then the next minute it was like Miles and Train. You know, my pops loves jazz music. So he played a lot of John Coltrane, mm. uh, a lot of Pharrell Sanders, a lot of uh, Eric Dolphy. Oh, nice. Um, you know, that kind of stuff. So growing up, he always played like the two records. I remember him playing a lot. Um, there are actually three uh, kind of blue Miles Davis, uh, Love Supreme, John Coltrane. And then there's this uh, re-release of the John Coltrane live at the Village Vanguard. So he used to play those records all the time. Three classics, man. And I just got really, really into that sound. You know, mm. but the funny thing is, like, my pops was like, so man yeah what you want to do you want to play horn i was like yeah you know i think i want to play trumpet he's like nah man you should play saxophone you, you want to be like train right you want to be like train right i was like yeah i do so that's kind of where the, the seed was set and wow. then really once he set said that and kind of set my mind on that mm -hmm. it was like saxophone 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 you know and um the school i had just mentioned earlier i started playing in the band there like uh pretty much immediately I started getting bust there in the third grade mm -hmm. and so I started playing in like the you know the concert band that they had but they didn't have any saxophones so I played clarinet for four years from third grade to the sixth grade and I graduated and had to go back to school in the hood um, down the street from the crib <laughs> and that's in the seventh grade that's when uh, I played in Henry Clay Junior High School in Los Angeles shout out and uh had a great band director there by the name of Johnny Spencer. And then he went to Jackson State, you know, nice. it was just like a bad dude. And I uh, started playing saxophone in seventh grade, 12 years old. That's incredible, man. First off, to be man. so impressionable at a young age that 
John Coltrane spoke to you. Exactly. Uh, through your father, of course. Mm -hmm. But uh, definitely, you know, shout, uh, shout out to Pops for having the wherewithal to, to nudge you, if you will. Um, and, and I'm sure that was probably more so just for his own satisfaction more than anything. But man, uh, <laughs> <laughs> the crazy thing about about my father is he's a frustrated musician, you know, he, um, he, um, he plays percussion or, or congas and uh, can sing a little bit. My mom has a pretty good singing voice and uh, okay. my sister, uh, I've got two older sisters, like I mentioned, she's the one in the middle. She had a great singing voice, but she was really more of an athlete. Mm. Um, so music really was my thing. And it was, I, I was kind of, I kind of existed and got good in the shadows. So it wasn't like I was playing saxophone all day, every day at home. You know, it was, a, it was outside of the family. So. You know, fast forward to when I was actually performing and touring and like, you know, my oldest sister still lives in Los Angeles. Um, I've got a sister. Uh, my other sister lives in Kansas City. Um, my parents live in, in, in Dallas. Okay. Because they had to move again. So, you know, and, and all of my family in L.A., they never seen me perform before. So when I started touring and performing, it was like, man, I'm about to play in front of my family. This is weird. But, you know, at the same time, it was like, oh, I've been doing this for years. So. It'll they'll finally get to see what I've been doing, you know, behind closed doors or, you know, on stages that they didn't have access to. So it, it was a trip, man. It really was a trip. So let's uh, let's let's talk about you getting out there and performing and touring. Where did your first professional touring gig come from? Ah, OK, it was with Brian Culbertson. So it was with Brian. It okay. was with Brian. Yeah. Wow. Like, so you got the gig as your first gig. Yeah, man. Like the crazy thing was, um, so I, I moved to Kansas City, Kansas, went to high school there, went to college at the University of Kansas. And then I moved up to Chicago uh, in the mid 90s, right after I graduated, a few months after. And, you know, I was in an original band here. We put out our own do it yourself CDs and, and all that kind of stuff. We were on a Jenny Jones show, all of that, <laughs> you know, like we were doing it, but you know, in Chicago, unfortunately, there's there's a lot of great musicians, mm -hmm. and you know you can name you can name drop Curtis Mayfield or you know somebody like uh, even though he's persona non grata right now R Kelly or you know Kanye West those kinds of people, and they all have these Chicago ties or from Chicago, plenty of talent here, but once all of the record companies like moved to Los Angeles or you know dissolved in the 70s like there's not much of an industry here to push propel someone forward i mean i think the only thing i could see it in was like maybe the hip-hop scene on in like the indie rock scene and we were somewhere like we, we didn't really have a style so to speak so we were one minute we would play like james brown the sliding family stone the next minute we was rocking out you know and then we we were oh but jumpers know, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We, you were black and white band too, so it's like we didn't really find an audience. But anytime anybody saw us, it was like, man, y'all killing, you know. But nothing happened with that. I wound up getting married. I had a child, so I didn't think. I was like, well, this is it. I'll be a weekend warrior working a day job like I was doing, and that was that. And I got laid off from my job, and I ran into uh, my good buddy Chris Miskell, who's a drummer for Brian. He'd been a drummer for Culbertson for like maybe four years at that point and uh they were looking for a saxophone player mm. and you know and brian wanted a name because i was coming behind like 
Eric Darius, who right. even at his young age was a was name. out there. Yeah, 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 he was a name at that point, and like he wanted to focus and do his solo thing. So they were. He was getting Eric to sub on some gigs, and then he was getting Michael LinkedIn to sub on some gigs as well. But Chris was like, "Hey, man, I got a guy in Chicago. Not only does he sing his bleep off, he also, you know, <laughs> plays saxophone. Like, and he was really just kind of like, um, you know." just vying for me just really pushing for me to get the gig and it was from one conversation i ran into him i was like he was like man so what do you want to do you laid off he's like man i don't want to go back to work i would rather just be a musician full time he's like okay i'll talk to brian about it um and he you know you hear that all the time he's like yeah okay whatever right right and people, then like, yeah. yeah you know people want to hook you up but mm -hmm. they don't necessarily do it or they don't have the means or any of that so that was like october 2007 and then in January 2008, Brian had a show in Chicago and Chris hit me up a couple of days prior and was like, Brian wants to meet you. So I had the perfect audition, was at a gig, people there, you know, um, it, you know, wasn't the pressure of trying to stand in front of someone in like this stale room and try to really bring right. something happen. Real I was that, like, yeah. I got all this energy around me. And at this point, I'm like in my mid thirties. So there was nothing to really be afraid of. Right. The only thing that I was thinking was like, he's not getting out of here without giving me this gig. I know and that's, that's right. exactly that's what the happened. mindset. Yeah. I mean, I said it. I sat on it to do that. And we talked. He dug what he heard. Um, and then a couple of days after that, he offered me the gig. So, yeah, that was my first touring situation at the ripe old age of 37, man, which is crazy. Wow. Doesn't happen for people like that, man. So wow. I know I'm blessed. And you stayed with Brian for what, 15? 10, 10 years. 10 years, 10 years. Okay, 10, 10 years. years. I, was, I was just trying to make you older than what you were, bro. So. <laughs> <laughs> hey, man, you know black don't crack, baby, so it's all It don't, good, man, it man. don't. You see me looking like you're 36 now, man. <laughs> but listen, you. so, you know, 10 years with Brian, you know, multi-instrumentalist, amazing mm -hmm. cat, you know, uh, definitely known for his high energy stage persona. Yeah. Um, and his incredible albums as as well, you know, and he's right. been in the business 20 plus years now as, as a solo act. What did you learn specifically about yourself during your time with Brian? Hmm. That is a great question. Um, that I needed to work harder, that I needed to be focused more. Um, you know, and that ultimately, it didn't really matter who the gig would be with. Like it could have been with, and I'll name some of my heroes. It could have been with Michelle and Degicello. It could have mm -hmm. been with Marcus Miller. Yeah. Um, it it could have been with The Roots. Could have been with, you know, Miles Davis or anybody like that. At a certain point, I knew I wanted to do my own thing, you know? And even I could feel that when I was even in the bands back in Chicago when we were doing local things. And, and, and the funny thing about that was I was up front. I was the lead man. I was singing and playing and doing all of this stuff. So for all intents and purposes, it looked like it was my band, but behind the scenes creatively, you know, it was a, you know, it was a community thing. It wasn't me running it. It wasn't me doing, you know, and I didn't really have those kinds of skills at that point yet. But once I got, in Brian's band and I realized I could actually do this, hmm. then that's what it became about for me. Um, you know, and I didn't really talk to anybody about it. I would talk to maybe close associates, but you know, it was just kind of like, how do I get from being a member of this band to being an artist, you know? Right. And it's a big, big 
difference. You know, it's 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 there's responsibility there. There's a you know, total focus there. Responsibility. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. So I, that's what I learned. It's just like, you know, I learned that I actually had the desire and the mindset to want to do it. Now, you know, obviously, since I've been an artist, there's ups and downs. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> you know, most of which like the pandemic that we're going through. But yeah, man. But you know, it, it's it's something that I wouldn't trade. I wouldn't trade those ten years. But I'm so glad that I'm doing me now. You know, was it was it hard for you? You know, being that there was this um, the the sense of comfort. You know, we all get comfortable in our right. jobs. You know, day in day out. You know, you you see that tour schedule. You're like, you know what? I know I'm eating good. From, exactly. from March through October, I'm eating good. So, exactly. you know, yeah. and then you're like, okay, well, if I get out there on my own, then I'm going to be responsible for making sure not only I eat good, mm -hmm. everybody else in the band eats good. How, how hard of a decision was it for you knowing that, you know, you have that inkling inside that desire mm -hmm. inside to step out there on your own? How hard was it for you to do it? And how long did it actually take for you from you saying, you know what, I'm going to do this mm -hmm. to it actually happening? You know, the funny thing about it was that entire 10 year time, it was in the mind state. It was okay. in my mind. Um, so what was really weird was uh, that we had a, uh, well, not really weird, but just eye opening. Mm -hmm. First year I was with Brian, um, had a, a tour manager and a sound guy by the name of Rick Camp. And Rick has worked with everybody. Um, and Rick on the third show, he comes up to me while we're setting up on stage and it was really hectic those, and we were playing the festival. So trying to set up between bands and festivals, always hectic tempers flaring. It's like always nuts. So in the middle of all of this craziness, Rick looks over to me and he leans over. He's like, you know, you can do this, right? And I was like, yeah, I know mm -hmm. I can. That was the third show. And, um, then later on that year, um, Brian used to do a Christmas tour. And one of the artists that was a guest artist touring with us, and we we only did like eight dates. It was a real short package type of deal. But one of the artists that was on the tour was Mike Phillips. And Mike Phillips was like, you're next, right? So, wow. so that's my, that's year one. That's the end of year one. I didn't get my first record out until five, year five with Brian. So like, you know, the end of 2013, early 2014. Right. That's my first when Catalyst came out. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And what I was trying to do at that point was still be in the band and work with Brian because I was actually out of the band for six months because I tore my Achilles tendon mm -hmm. uh, playing basketball on a smooth jazz cruise. And I was Shame. a featured artist on the cruise. <laughs> Dude, I was on stage with Brian sitting oh, in, in like a you know, a bar stool with a big cast on because I it no. was in Cozumel, man. It was in wow. Cozumel, so they the ER in Cozumel, so they didn't put on like the little nice little cast that yeah. goes up to your calf because that's yeah, all that I ugly really thing on. That all rap. the way, all the way up to like the groin, brother. Damn. It was heavy too, you know. <laughs> so, um, so I had I was out of band for six months, but when I got back in, my record was coming out, and it was like, okay, stick around. This is great. Learn what you need to learn. Um, and then in a couple of years, that's when Brian started doing like the, uh, he would roll out of his album, he would roll his album out, but then do like a three month or a two month tour, kind of mm -hmm. like the rock stars do, which mm -hmm. is unheard of in smooth jazz. He's right. the only guy that does it. So, you know, 
when we did the first tour like that, that was like 2016. I was thinking, okay, I gotta be gone. That's what I was thinking then. Like, this is over. Once this is over, I gotta get my record out and it's done. But it was just hard to serve two masters, really. Like it was, you know, his schedule demanded a level of responsibility and commitment that is definitely gonna take away from what you're doing or trying to do as an artist. So, you know, I was, the last couple of years, it was just like kind of growing pains. I was ready to go, but I wasn't ready to go. You know what I mean? So, but I just had to set my intention on it. I was like, okay, if you don't leave now, you're not gonna leave, you know? Cause mm-hmm. there's plenty of stories of guys who are sidemen with any band yeah. um, that talk about leaving and they never leave. And I didn't want to be that guy. So, you know, Brian and I had a conversation like in 2017, um, he told me he wanted to do another tour for his new record that was coming out. And I was telling him, well, I was thinking 2017 would be my last year. So if you want to use me for the tour, that's cool. Because frankly, you know, that's a lot of money to leave on the table. Yeah, man. Uh, you know, my daughter was uh, going to private school. Oh, <laughs> you know, they, they so it was like it every month. Yes, sir. Man, so yeah. it was. I definitely that last tour was a financial decision, mm-hmm. um, and it, it, it just kind of worked out. He didn't find someone that he really liked. I was still available. My second record was in the beginning stages of being done. And he was like, hey, man, you want to sell your record on this tour? I was like, nah, because I really want to focus on getting it played on radio. I don't really even care about the sales. So my my whole thought process was completely different. You were focused. I was trying to. Was who trying to who be. turns down album sales? <laughs> well, I mean. Said Brian Colbertson. You know, and then and then the other thing was it wasn't done, too. Like, if okay. it was done, it might gotcha. have been a different thing. Gotcha. But You, you didn't know, want to I, rush something. Gotcha. Didn't want to rush it. And then I thought that I'd be able to work on it while I was on tour with him, but that last tour was grueling. Mm-hmm. It was it was great because I knew it was going to be the last tour. Everybody in the band knew it was my last tour. Um, it just wasn't announced to the public. So I went out like with a bang. You know, every show was just like, let's have some fun. Yeah. But, you know, three months on the road and we only got a chance to go home for three days. Wow. Um, yeah, it was tough. So yeah, that's brutal. Yeah, so mentally I was I was there, but I was gone. And by the time I did my last show with Brian, I was like, Yep, this is it. This is like it. when you know, like all when you know, you know. Yeah, like all athletes say, Man, yeah, when did you know you were done? It's like, man, I yeah. just didn't want to do this anymore. Like it yeah. was just like you've ex- I I spent all the I expended all the energy I could to that situation. I needed to save some from my situation. Good stuff. Well, if you are just joining the conversation, we are joined today by the great saxophonist, producer, and vocalist, Markwell Jordan. He has uh, some incredible music out there. And this is a brother who has been able to move in between genres flawlessly, whether he's playing R&B or jazz or funk or inspirational. I mean, the brother can just just move through it, man. And not, not everybody can do that, Markwell. And everybody can do that. So hats off to you for it, man. Thank you. Thank you know, you. as I look at your list of uh, collaborations, I mean, it's it's pretty incredible. Isaiah Sharkey, Frank McComb, mm-hmm. uh, Mesa, Phil Perry, Kenya, yeah. Brian Culbertson, of course, just to name a few. But yeah. who's on your collaboration wish list? Um, you know, the the big one. There's there's a few people, so I'll I'll say the the big one, quote unquote, for last. But um. 
I've uh, talked to Cy Smith a lot. Would love to nice. work with her on record. Cy. She's nah, so she's beautiful, a, man. She's Just amazing. inside and out, man. Absolutely. So underrated too, man. And I don't know why, because she is the bee's knees. She's ridiculous, man. As an artist. Uh, visionary writer singer I mean that yeah. voice is just crazy right. so um, you know we did a show together um, actually her and Frank were on this show as a tribute to Donnie Hathaway in Chicago yeah. like a year and a half ago you can't do a tribute for Donnie without Frank without I Frank mean, you can't yeah man. he's Donnie <laughs> Donnie reincarnated that's, exactly that's, yeah that's my man so you yeah. know so size on the list um, Man, Carol Riddick is on the list as well. Oh, yeah. Same okay. thing with with Carol and and like we've known each other now for I, we met on the, the Capital Jazz Super Cruise. Mm-hmm. Um, so she's amazing. Would love to work with her. That would be cool. Um, those are people that are tangible and those things have been in the works and we were talking about it. Right. It just hasn't happened yet. Um, but the thing that was really going to happen when everything shut down around this time last year. I was on my way to fly to Eric Robeson's house to work on music, like for a couple of days, man. Man. And and we just, everybody, I mean, you remember what it was like. Everybody was trying to figure out what to do and everybody just scrambled. And we just all kind of figured out what we needed to do, how we needed to get through it. And, And some people like, you know, like someone like as prolific as Eric, he just really... You know, he just kept doing what he was doing. You know, someone from like myself, for example, you know, it was it was tough, you know, and then I I lost a good friend of mine who passed away, uh, had a sudden heart attack in the summer. Wow, condolences. Thank you. Of 2020, Kahari Parker, great drummer. And um, that really threw me for a loop. I actually was really depressed about it for a long time Mm. and, and didn't know. Like with that and the election and George Floyd and. Right. everything that was going That's on 2020 Oof, you know and so it, it 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 took my head out for a minute so i really had to acknowledge that and then be like okay the only timetable that you're setting is the one that you're setting for yourself because it's my little true you know it, it's i get to move this train as fast or as slow as i wanted to and right. you know i just kind of slowed it down until i could get back in the right frame of mind to work again because performing is like you know i mean i'm sure you know that as well voice that you know it performing is second nature you know? but creating what we do yeah creating and, and and writing music and and trying to get something that speaks to you so that it hopefully speaks to other people and that you know that you're connected to the creator and everything is going through and every it that was different that's a process. And, yeah. And it, and it takes a lot of energy and focus. And I just, yeah. didn't, emotionally, I was just spent at that point, man. But I don't wow. see myself being any different from anybody else that was dealing with that stuff, man. You know, or now. You, you know? know what would be so great? And there's so many things I want to talk about. We haven't even played any music yet, which right, we right. do. But <laughs> you know, just thinking about the Capital Jazz Cruise. First off, it's it's a huge reunion for the cruisers, number one. Absolutely. Then for the artists, it's even more of a reunion. But it's also like, um, you know, you, you have this, this huge, I don't want to call it a date, but you have all of these people that you've loved. Yeah. You've been mm-hmm. seeing and, and hearing for years, and all of a sudden you're in the same room with them. And yeah. the energy is 
incredible. And you watch a show when you're seeing yourself and you're hearing something and you're like, you know what? I'm gonna work with this person. And I know so many times that artists say, you know, let's let's do something you know we're going yeah. to, we're going to connect and i know that was part of the conversation with you with eric on this last cruise yeah oh you, know, you were like we're finally going to do something together yeah how great would it be if they actually set up a recording studio oh. there on the ship so <laughs> that after the late night jam session yeah. those who really wanted to produce something could go in there and produce you know at least lay yeah. a track down some framework take it home finish it. you know what i'm saying yeah i mean that's i'm gonna have to talk to cliff about that man yeah you know yeah. the only the drawback of that is there are people who are performers and then there are people that are studio rats you, you wouldn't True. be able to get the studio rats out of that right they would be in there all night long yeah absolutely like, yo, right. yo, it, yo. it would have to be a serious schedule <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean that's that's that would be the only drawback but yeah. to have yeah. that there because the energy i mean playing you know the the coaching gig definitely changed my life but mm. you know an extension of that is the capital jazz super cruise really changed my life because yeah. that's where i really met frank mccomb that's where i really met and vibed with a producer that's been, that's worked on all of my records, Chris, Chris Big, Big Dog, Dog Davis. Davis. Come on, yeah. man. Yeah. You know, so it was through that connection, you know, and I have to give a shout out to my man, Wayne Bruce from Spur of the Moment. That's you my know, dude. yeah, that's the homie, you know, yeah. he was musical director he's, for a long time. He's the plug. Time. He's the yeah. plug. He, and he plugged me, you know, mm -hmm. and it was a situation where it was a baptism under fire mm -hmm. because there were some vocalists because um, we both were in Culbertson's band at the same time. We both were the new guys, you know, mm -hmm. and we got along well. He's a college grad and Greek, you know, he's a Kappa, of course. He's, he's a Kappa, A5A yeah, back there. You already so, know, baby. Yep. <laughs> I, I see the crest back there, brother. Yes, it's all love. But um, there were some vocalists that were supposed to sing background for Patty Austin on the cruise, and, and Brian was a feature performer, so we were going to be on the cruise. And... Uh, the background vocalist or that situation something happened they pulled out so wayne was looking at me like hey man can you sing background for patty austin do you think you could do it and i'm like yeah i could do it they, yeah you know and at that point wayne just had seen me do what i did with brian which was cool right. but this was something different and his reputation was on the line so patty austin yeah man patty austin exactly she's sung with <laughs> whoever everybody yeah, that's that's Quincy Jones's goddaughter. Exactly. Yeah. You know? um, so no pressure. You know, and we did the show, and everything turned out great. So nice. then after that, even once Brian stopped doing Capital Jazz Cruise, I was always hired. I was the one non-DMV based musician playing that the, would always play in a house in band a house band every yeah. year. Yeah. yeah. And hats off to that, you, man. That you you, you did that for what like nine years before becoming the headliner yeah on absolutely. the cruise last year so mm -hmm. congrats to you man how how did it feel finally having that opportunity it was like you know you've been in the background you know everybody been yeah. checking you out all these years and different different bands or what have you and then that next year you're a headliner man i know it had feel good bro it felt incredible um because you know i had done featured shows there but it was different it was you know they had like the basement kind of thing like we were downstairs in a small room and it was like 
I was playing with another artist and we kind of did a show together. So it was like, I do three or four songs or two songs and I'd stop and the other artists would do two songs and that kind of thing. And that was great because it was still exposure, it was still cool. But this was a bigger room, yeah, man. bigger stage. Mm -hmm. um, and I was opening for Norman Brown. So there was gonna be more eyes in the room, no matter what. And um, man, it was incredible. It felt like the great culmination of all of what had transpired since 2008 since i first did my first one there and and it wow. was yeah so the year last year started off on a super duper high because not only that then my man isaiah sharky was on the cruise and i performed yeah, with him performed with him yeah i remember you know, that and i was a big part of um the uh the funk tribute shows that spur mm -hmm. the moment did like for two years those last two years man you know it was like you know they were running it but i was up front like really running it you know right. and wayne just was like do your do thing. thing right do your thing so it was it was cool man i you know i've never there's only been one other show ironically enough and that was in the dmv too that i sold all of my cds that i actually sold out and that happened on the capital jazz cruise this last run sold That's all awesome. my cds man so i was happy super, super awesome. happy about that yeah i totally missed the cruise not yeah. happening this year I, you know it's it a whole void that was there but you know when, yeah. when when things get back to a little bit of normalcy we'll, we'll be back at it for sure but I'm, I'm looking forward to that okay so we're we're well over 30 minutes in here we've not played any music you have a brand new single uh, that is days away from uh, from being launched, man. Tell me about it. Okay. Um, the name of this song is Last Call. And it's a collaboration with uh, Chris Big Dog Davis. It's really all him. You know, like when it's time to make a record, it's like, hey, dog, you got some music? Yeah. So, you know, he sent me, you know, he sent me like six songs and I wound up picking four of them. <laughs> so, the man has you know, a vault of music. Exactly. Let's exactly. put that out there. Yeah. You know, and then the vibe, the vibe of the song is just like really kind of like spacey, kind of, uh, no, that's not the right word. Kinda, do you remember like those spy shows from like the 60s or like Ocean's Eleven? Oh, yeah. Remember the music that was kind of playing all the time when they were walking around in Ocean's Eleven? It reminded me of that. Like, that's the vibe of the song, you know, and it is pretty catchy. Um, I could do my thing with it. And it, it also just gave me that vibe of like, this would either be like an encore of a, of a show, you mm -hmm. know, after you done took people crazy and you come back and you do something nice and, and groovy and mellow and just send them on their way. Or, you know, after the gig is over and you hanging with, you know, the, the lady friend or the homies and you're sitting there and it's like last call at the bar. Last you know call. and you're just chilling so that's that's the vibe of that song um you know i i think radio is gonna love it i hope radio loves it because i i feel like this is this is a continuation another brick in the wall for for my foundation for what i'm doing most definitely well here it is right now world premiere here on cool jazz conversations markwell jordan last call on wssb
how about that family it is brand new music by all means let us know how you feel about it markwell jordan the great saxophonist producer and vocalist our special guest here today on cool jazz conversations man loving the vibe on that and uh with chris big dog davis on there i mean you, oh, you can't go wrong man yeah, yeah you know i was i was going to ask you who your favorite producer is but already knowing that you work with chris i i know it's chris but <laughs> it, it, it cannot be anybody but chris what has he taught you as a fellow producer about music you know what is is there any one thing that he shared with you about the the process of of producing music you know layering tracks or or starting out with the the hook or the melody the process what what is it exactly that the man has has given you that stands out the most i think um he just has this freedom to just be in a moment and create hmm. um you know that like whatever he's thinking he'll put it down hmm. you know and i think that's been a challenge for me um it continues to be a challenge you know because i think a lot of times when you're working on music um you self-edit like you don't see it through he'll see it through and and then go back and be like okay this works, that doesn't work, this doesn't work, that doesn't work, you know, that kind of thing. And this, and but most of the stuff that he does works because he's so available to the creative process in the moment. And that's the mm. thing that he always tries to tell me to do is, you know, just be in a moment, just capture what you're trying to say and 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 go in there and really just be you. You know, don't hold back. Just be you and be relaxed and be comfortable with being yourself. You know, I think that's the biggest thing. Um, from a technical standpoint, when I did my first record, I'd never really worked with a producer outside of uh, my man that I work with here in Chicago. Shout out to my man, DJ INC. And that's a different kind of situation because, you know, he's like, He's really just kind of like, you be as creative as you want. You do what you want to do. Here's a track. It's done. Go do it. it up. Yeah. You know, yeah. that kind of thing. So, yeah. but with working with somebody that was outside of my comfort zone, you know, and really thinking like, man, this cat has worked with Mesa. He's worked with Kim Waters. He's worked with Phil Perry. Like, and he's a beast yeah. as a musician. It's like, oh, yes. snap. Like, you know, so there was a level of like just nervousness or, you know, borderline intimidation. I felt coming in the situation and he just eased me all the way out. You know, nice. it's like, okay, go in here, do that, do that, do that. And then when we put it together, I was like, oh, that's how you make a song. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I know? tell you, man, you know, for those who aren't familiar with Chris Big Dog Davis, Big Dog is, he's the special sauce of the contemporary jazz world behind so many great artists i mean he just has that secret sauce that just it just makes everything better yeah everyone Absolutely. better you know yeah. and so so hats off to him um you know Markwell, you are one who understands the power of social media Mm -hmm. uh, you do an amazing job across platforms and oh, always you, see man. you out there promoting and and uh, reaching out and having that connection with with your listeners, which is, um, 
which is so important, uh, especially in this day and age where we're not able to, to fully be in physical contact with people. So you do a good job uh, virtually, what have you. But tell me about this series of yours, The Catalyst. Ah, yes. Um, that is um, a boutique experience, if you mm -hmm. will. You know, like a subscription-based uh, uh, fan club, if you will. Okay. So, you know, there's, there are fans and then there are people who are connected to you and it, it and it's pretty much set up like netflix or you know hbo max or any of those kinds of things so there's a monthly nominal fee it's not that much you know and then you know you get access to me outside of social media uh so there's there's um exclusive music that you know hasn't been released to the public or performances and things of that nature that people that are in the catalyst uh membership are privy to you know mm -hmm. and then once the world opens back up then they're like meet and greets that are going to go on and you know they'll get first dibs on when the cd comes out or if i want to be in town it's just like hey you know tickets go on sale this throw this code in because you're a member of the catalyst and then you, you know, discount yeah. get that old discount thing mm -hmm. so you know i think um we've had to reinvent the wheel um and we've had to take even more control of our content Mm. and you know of our art you know and 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 give people a little more access than you know probably what we would have done five or six years ago right. uh but it's just the name of the game now people want to know you and this is a way for people to get to know me more as an artist and, and, and in some ways as a person too um and a way to support the career as well so that's what's happening it's been going now for um seven or eight months and it's it's going well i've got a loyal uh base of people that are supporting and you know it's you can still join right now <laughs> well for <laughs> folks who are interested how can uh how can they get more information on that um you can get more information from my website uh which is about to be relaunched it's like on the precipice of being relaunched uh markwelljordan.com so that's m-a-r-q-u-e-a-l-j-o-r-d-a-n Com. I mentioned in social media, it's in my uh, Instagram uh, bio. Um, and, you know, you can hit me up directly and we can talk about it. So, you know, there's there's a campaign that goes out and I was blasted out and all of those kinds of things as well. So pay attention to social media or just hit me And up what is the social media handle? Handle is Marquel Jordan as well. And that's on Instagram and Twitter. On Facebook, it's uh, Marquel Jordan Music. Um, my personal page is maxed out. So I'm trying to get people to go to the music page, but everybody wants that personal connection. Everybody wants yeah. it. Yeah. So, you know, I can I can obviously have more followers on my page, but not accept um more friends. More friends. Yeah. So, that five so that's the limit. Yeah. How, how dare you tell me how many friends I can have? <laughs> what? Right. <laughs> and my manager, shout out to Andrea Young. She was just getting on me today. She was like, You need to get a link tree together. And I'm like, okay. Yeah. So so Linktree will be happening, TikTok will be happening, all of this kinds of stuff. So, you know, right now I'm really in a, a phase to really push out more and um, you know, be accessible in a in a lot more ways to to ramp up and get closer to this um uh, the singles coming out obviously, but for the album, the actual album release, which will be happening later on this spring. 
Nice. Well, bro, I mean, this hour just flew by and I didn't even get through half of the things that I wanted to talk to you about, man. Because so, I talk so much, man. It's, it's all good, man. But, you know, it was it's a great conversation. And that just means that we just have to bring you back in for another around here on Cool Jazz Conversations. But listen, bro, I appreciate you from the bottom of my heart. I've been Thank a fan you. since day one. As soon as I heard Catalyst, I was blasting it in Baltimore. And, oh, my man. and then when uh, Intentions and, and Purpose came out, same deal. And so, you know, with this new project, I'm looking yeah. forward to that as well. So, uh, you know, we dropped Thank the you. exclusive here today. And uh, as more of that music comes out, man, get it to me and I will definitely get it to the people. You got it, man. And actually, I should mention what, uh, before we get up out of here, I know you're, we're pressed for time, but the name of the new album, because um, it speaks to the times, is really important to me. Like, album titles to me are super duper important. Mm -hmm. So the title of the album is All We Have Are Moments, because wow. that's really all we got. You know, that's wow. it. So, and I I'm trying that. to be, exactly, I'm trying to be right in the moment when it happens mentally, emotionally, physically, spiritually. Um, and give my all to it. So, you know, um, the music will reflect that. Um, and, and it'll just be, a, 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 like I said, a continuation on, on what we've done. But I appreciate your support, man. Thank you, brother. And my thanks pleasure. for having me on here anytime, anytime, yes, man. Just you can call me five minutes, you know, like, hey, man, we need you five minutes. If I'm there, let's do it. Yes, sir. Most definitely, boy. Markwell Jordan right here on Cool Jazz Conversations. That is going to do it for this edition. Uh, the program is a production of TVM Productions and is broadcast from its home of WSSB 90.3 FM at South Carolina State University. You can catch the podcast of this program on iHeartRadio, TuneIn Radio, Alexa, Amazon Music, Player FM, Google Pocket. Look, you can find it everywhere. Or you can download it at cooljazzconversations.podbean.com. Wow. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Cool Jazz Conversations. And we'll see you next time right here on Cool Jazz Conversations. Peace. You know I told you not to smile at me like that. You know what it does to me. Say I'm thankful
Sweet smile and your pretty face 